tears shed in the sweat, large breasts go out to all those I've wronged and who have wronged me, gotta treat them like family. Get your money, do we do Kawashin? Jimushka with Zion, me Dutch for me, it is Zion. Me Jishanam, Zagin, he white when Ganu Jishanam, Bizzin' down with Shanam, me wine, Jinagamoyan. Me Mishomis, we do Kawashinam, Jit, I budget too young, I Nishanabe is your Twawin. Me Jit, big, it came to my KI, Nishanabe, been my dizzy win. Becoming aware of a heartbeat's fragility, so I pray for my creator's will and humility. It seems my prayer's weak, I can't speak, not a linguist. Does he hear my English when I vent? I fear the answer to the question. This is symbolic of anguish, I feel regarding language and the obligation of revitalizing something sacred. Failure to carry through is disgracing a nation. My first tongue's in need of a facelift, but deciphering conjugations like trying to find my way through a maze in the matrix. Complex. It's hard to start without an end aside from being fluent. I gotta push the limit if I'm gonna keep pursuing. So I use it in a way that relates to my life and vocab. Bring some entertainment to it, spit it on a track, and I take it out the class. Can't let what I lack become a self-defeating habit that'll make me wanna quit. Get your money, do we do Good morning, welcome to Wake the F Up on 101.5 UMFM. We are on Thursdays, 11 to 11.30. My name is Karan, and my pronouns are he, him. My name is Christina. I use pronouns she, her. And we have a very special guest with us here today, if you'd like to introduce yourself. Hi, my name is Jack, and my pronouns are he, him. And in Ojibwe, my pronoun is win, because we only have one pronoun in Ojibwe. The UMFM 101.5 broadcasts at 1200 watts from the University of Manitoba, located on Treaty 1 territory, the original lands of the Anishinaabeg, Nihayawak, Ojikri, Dakota, and Dene peoples, and the homeland of the Métis Nation. Thanks, Kren. So, how was the event earlier this week that you guys went to? It was pretty sweet. Yeah, it was awesome. Yeah, it was uh, a Métis linguist who's like professionally translates Japanese and English, if I'm not wrong. And uh, she's also into language revitalization. So she was here for the weekend and uh, she had one workshop where she taught us uh, Michif in a very, very fun and like non-hectic approach mm-hmm. to learning language which I thought was very cool and Jack and I were there and we didn't know that we were both going to be there <laughs> so it was a fun coincidence it was a fun surprise she taught in a very immersive way no writing she just had us devote our attention 100% to her work so it was really fun because we did all these activities and it was immersive learning she was speaking to us almost exclusively in Michif which is the language. And it was just awesome because you're devoting yourself 100% to what she's saying rather than trying to take notes. And because of that, within the span of a few hours, you really absorb a ton. Of course, it helps to have visual reinforcement later on through writing, but it was a really nice introduction to the language. I'll definitely believe whatever you say about learning languages because I don't know. I've lost track of how many languages you know, but I know that you have. I know that you have some passionate feelings towards language revitalization. So, okay, first of all, approximately how many languages do you know? Just for my curiosity. I usually just say I speak about three languages: English, French, and Romanian. But I can kind of get by in like nineteen more Spanish. Spanish is one of the main languages of my neighborhood back home, so it was kind of everywhere growing up. What else? 
I said German. Russian. I took, I took Russian for a year. Chinese. Uh, I took Chinese for two years. <laughs> I took. I lived with uh, three <laughs> Swedish women my first year of university, and they always spoke Swedish, so that kind of soaked in a bit. I took three weeks of Uzbek when I was about 20, 21. What's right? Uzbek? It's a uh, Turkic language, I believe. Oh. And uh, it's, I think, it's a really beautiful, very interesting language, but I have forgotten everything from those three weeks except for like a few words. Sorry. No I, I feel like Christina has a much more comprehensive list of how many languages Jack speaks than Jack himself <laughs> yeah. does. Just little bits here and there because living in... I told um, you I'm a note taker. <laughs> living in big cities, you meet people from all over the world and you have to communicate and it just really comes in handy. Even Romanes, like Romani language, which is not Romanian at all. It's language of Roma people and it's a really beautiful language and I got to know some Roma people when I was living in France and Romania, and it really helps to just learn some words of the language. And Ukrainian. <laughs> and Ukrainian. You know Ukrainian, too? No, just a little bit. Oh, just a little bit. Okay, great. <laughs> um, Christina. Another one. <laughs> so language revitalization is... I'm just going to let you introduce it. Language revitalization. <laughs> sure. Like, I, you feel very passionately about it, so you go off. <laughs> so there are about 7,000 languages spoken around the world, and the vast majority of these languages are spoken by indigenous peoples who make up who comprise only about 4% or 5% of the global population and our languages are directly tied to our communities to our cultures but also to the environments and to biodiversity when a language goes a community a culture a way of thinking so do the animals and plants that are protected by that community. So does the land and the water, the way those things are cared for, which have been cared for for generations, are threatened if our languages and our autonomy, cultural, linguistic, physical autonomy are threatened, then so is the land and so is the environment. And in turn, so is the entire world. So language is really connected to that, which is why it's important. And right now I'm focusing on Ojibwe, which is the language of my ancestors, and it was spoken until my in my family until my great grandfather went to Toma Indian Industrial School, which is basically a residential school, kind of like in the U.S. we say boarding school, but it's not like a fancy preppy boarding right. school. It's just that's a different context. Mm -hmm. But um, he went there and he spoke Ojibwe and I believe French as well. And then he it was no more in the family. But uh, yeah, and I'm also trying to focus on Michif as well. Mm -hmm. <laughs> oh my goodness. So do you find that language revitalization across all the experiences you've had, the places you've lived, that it is a useful tool kind of across the board? Well, I mean, you're not going to get rich off of it, that's for sure. <laughs> but in terms of Ojibwe, there are actually tons of jobs out there. Like, you're not going to get an extremely high-paying job. Maybe if you become a university professor and teach Ojibwe, you could make a good living off that or something. But mm -hmm. a lot of these people in the in the revitalization movement, we do this because we care about our communities and our languages yeah. and we want to honor our ancestors and we want our descendants to be able to speak our languages again because this is all from the heart it's about passion and love and community and you know we don't worship money we acknowledge that we have to use money generally to survive and get by and get our coffee in this capitalist mm -hmm. society but uh mm -hmm. you know that doesn't have to be the permanent way you know everything in the world is temporary 
but our languages can be permanent. Absolutely. I once met a friend who had moved here from Nigeria and he he's like, in my house, we speak the language of our country. And he's like, because that is our family. And without the language, you don't have family. And that was like, he firmly posited that. And that's completely opposite to my experience. Like I moved from Ukraine and mm-hmm. we moved here and my parents were like, I don't want you to know Ukrainian or Russian at all. Yeah. So it, I mean, it slipped through the cracks, obviously, but it's, I think it is incredibly useful for getting in touch with your culture and just gives you a sense of being connected to this greater thing. Yeah. I mean, I definitely understand that experience as well through my dad and his family, because maybe this is a, I feel like this is a general immigrant thing or maybe an Eastern European thing, but uh, a lot of, you know, immigrants or even refugees, they won't want their children to speak their own language just because mm-hmm. they don't want their kids to be discriminated against or they want their kids to just be better in English because there's this idea that if you speak two languages that you're not going to be good in either of them when really that's not the case at all. Right. You know? I can almost guarantee that my parents in particular were probably operating on some like colonialist ideals. Okay. So that was the case uh, in my situation. Okay. Of course, the yeah. situations vary on family, country, mm-hmm. etc. Uh, yeah, like the reason my mom's grandfather stopped speaking Ojibwe is vastly different than the reason my dad's grandparents didn't want their grandchildren to grow up speaking Romanian or Hungarian or anything like that because they just they didn't want to speak it outside the house or the community Mm. because they lived in a Romanian kind of general Eastern European immigrant community outside Chicago it's it was vastly different for my mom's family for Ojibwe because we probably would have carried that on. I really think we would have kept speaking it because mm-hmm. in northern Wisconsin and Wisconsin in generally, Ojibwe was a pretty common indigenous language and it is still spoken there. Not as much, of course, but if he didn't have that residential school experience, I don't doubt he would have kept speaking it. Right. And when I think about my experience with like language and culture, I think it's all very like similar as as you both said having that connection with your family, to your roots, et cetera, et cetera. In my case, I always think back to colonialism mm-hmm. and how I suffer the consequences of what I call the colonial hangover. <laughs> and, <laughs> that's great. and and that's a that's a big problem in India. We're still decolonizing. Of course we like I'm not gonna compare colonialism anywhere from anywhere. But when you think about it, when we got rid of the colonial rule, everything that came along with it is still in our society. That manifested itself in valuing English more than valuing Hindi, which is our national language, or, you know, having laws that are anti-gay, anti-trans. And we didn't have all these issues. This is this is all colonial perspectives. And I find that in terms of language, too, to be a very competing factor with connecting myself to my ancestors. And my grandparents didn't really speak English that well. They, uh, on my dad's side, my grandfather did. But apart from that, my grandmothers, both of them, they didn't really speak English that well. And I grew up speaking English and Hindi, and I didn't really know how to communicate only in Hindi. But Mm -hmm. English, I could speak just fine. I could get by living my entire, I do get by living my entire life in just English. And that's completely okay. But I never grew in a household where we only spoke in Hindi at times. And that kind of did make it hard for me to connect to my grandparents uh, in some aspects. And when I think back to it, it really sucks because they're they're all gone now. Um, And there's no like room for regret and you know relearning my own language to be like oh I should be able to 
better connect with them. And when I think about it, it's just like, oh, am I just like a post-colonial body occupying space in this country mm. where which has like a really rich history, especially in languages like we speak over a thousand languages maybe in India or maybe mm. over a hundred. I don't really know. I'm just pulling out numbers. <laughs> large uh, number. <laughs> so it's a large Insert number. Insert large number here. <laughs> Basically. <laughs> and it, it's it sucks and I'll never have that opportunity again to connect with them the way they knew how and the way ideally I should have known how. So colonialism, definitely one of the largest reasons as to why we're still suffering. Preach. Um <laughs> <laughs> So, Jack, I'm really on the topic of kind of what it was like growing up. You've kind of told me some bits and pieces of what it was like for you growing up in terms of your family mm. environment, in terms of your neighborhood. Yeah, I mean, this is this goes back to like why I'm in Winnipeg in the first place, because I've only been here for a year and a half. I was in Minneapolis before that. And then before that, I was in France and Romania for about four years. And before that, I was raised in South Dallas. Well, I was raised in a neighborhood called Oak Cliff, and some people would say it's South Dallas or just on the edge of South Dallas, kind of. But it's fairly close to downtown, and it was just a dream growing up. It was an incredible world, like multicultural bubble. And just growing up around me, there were pretty much no Romanians. <laughs> I didn't start meeting other Romanians until outside of my family until I was in high school. And most of them were like a good half hour to an hour outside of Dallas. And there were not really any Ojibwe's that I knew of or Machifs. So I was kind of just surrounded by the love and compassion of the Black and Latinx communities that are all around me. And that was just a huge part of growing up. And that will always be with me. And I'll never forget that. Like literally everything, the parties, the food, the music, the culture, the art, the even like church and just all those things. I absolutely loved it. But at the end of the day, I couldn't go on without knowing who I was as an indigenous person and we're just south of Oklahoma and Texas like an hour and a half drive from Dallas so but I'm not I'm not Cherokee Choctaw Creek Chickasaw I had to go farther north I had to come here where it's like negative 60 degrees <laughs> and it's killing me but I absolutely love being with my people Ojibwe's and Machifs it's so weird because some of them it's like there's an instant connection it's like picking up right where we left off or something after my family was assimilated. It's just like, I'm glad to know my people again. It's like I'm learning about who I am and being connected to the land, living in a neighborhood where my ancestors 200 years ago, where they were baptized and married. Mm -hmm. It's just, and where they prayed and hunted bison and did all these things, maybe beadwork, who knows? Mm -hmm. um, it's just, it gives me so much strength and power and resilience. And when I walk through San Boniface, I don't see Boulevard Provencher, the main street. I see river lots. I see Métis parties. I see I see the 1800s. It's, I'm such a nerd, like a history nerd. <laughs> but that's what I see. I see my ancestors walking around and beadwork and uh, speaking Machif and French and Ojibwe. And I just, I love it. Like, I really feel their presence here. And I feel so connected to them. That is by far the best reason I've ever heard for anyone <laughs> staying in Winnipeg. I, yeah, I love Winnipeg. <laughs> <laughs> Unpopular <Definitely>. opinion. <laughs> Stand by it. Unpopular yet extremely valid. I'm also really curious to know how masculinity was represented in the communities that you grew up in. So because I grew up so assimilated and I always knew I was Ojibwe and French and then and Romanian on my dad's side. And then I didn't learn I was specifically Ojibwe through the Métis side or that I was I didn't know what Métis was they don't teach you that in American schools especially in the south 
And I learned when I was a teenager, and then I had it confirmed when I came here, and I was just blown away. Yeah, I grew up mostly identifying as just, like, white and Ojibwe, and I had no idea what it meant to be Ojibwe. But at the intersections of the three other communities, mostly three other communities, white, black, and Latinx. So I did grow up, though, seeing up close pretty much every day the effects of colonization and slavery and how bad it can get in the projects and the gunshots like every week and like having to come in from recess as a kid because there's gunshots and stuff like that and when I go other places and it's quiet I'm like this is so weird for there like not to be certain issues going on and I don't know I'm just so used to it but when I look back it's like wow colonization really did a number on us and a lot of it definitely stems from internalized colonial masculinities Mm -hmm. and of course we have to take account for ourselves and our own actions but it is also important to acknowledge where that comes from in the first place it's both because you can't just decolonize your masculinity without understanding both those aspects to it Mm -hmm. Uh, and then although i will say that growing up a lot of black and latinx men and women really shaped how i view the world i had to they were like in charge in the schools i was at they were everywhere in the businesses and everything growing up in church and like there are people who you look up to and who you have to obey and who you really respect and who demand a lot from you and when I was growing up I thought everyone was (laughs) having this you know incredible Mm -hmm. like mentorship and stuff from people of color from black people from indigenous descended people or indigenous people and it's it was just incredible to learn otherwise and to see the effects of that on people to see how they act when they don't know what it's like to have to obey someone who comes from another community than they do because it really shows sometimes when i came to winnipeg i took indigenous feminisms last year actually with gina star blanket oh did you great nice and we touched on indigenous masculinities and it was really interesting and i know there's a lot of work in this field and there's actually a great book called indigenous men and masculinities legacies identities regenerations uh by robert alexander ines and kim anderson who's a well-known academic and that's a great resource if you're looking into that a lot of it has to do with reclaiming traditional roles like fire keeping things like that Mm -hmm. for ojibwe men and we keep the fire because and i might be wrong but i'm pretty sure and i'm pretty sure it's related to kree as well the word for fire is ishkode i think and i think in Cree, it's similar because the Cree word for woman is isque, and in Ojibwe, it's ikwe. And it's like an incredibly ancient word, like probably thousands of years old, one of the oldest words. And men are given the responsibility and ceremony of caring for the fire because we're caring for women. We're protecting the woman because the woman is the fire. And that's when you realize that, it just really helps your perspective on things. Which is why language, claiming your language is so important because it teaches you to look at the world the way your ancestors did before colonization. Right. Did did you ever, like, see colonialism having effects on this masculinity that you talk of, like, in terms of gaining these roles back that were very pertinent to the communities? Because in my experience, I find that it was completely, like, different and that colonialism had absolutely changed everything mm-hmm. to a point where even my grandfather on my dad's side he he refused to speak hindi in the workspace mm-hmm. he only wanted to speak english he would not read hindi newspapers at least when he was at work because he was kind of ashamed of it and very much so took a patriarchal view towards the world not mm-hmm. to say that indian culture has not been patriarchal because throughout the years it has 
but colonialism just like really gave yeah. gave him that boost that resulted in him being very hateful of his own culture to a certain point i would say yeah. so in retrospect to that how would you say that colonialism affected indigenous masculinities so actually during the residential school era and it's really sad because before this we had traditional ways of courting we made flutes and played songs for the women we did i mean we still do this uh but you <laughs> petition know, to bring that back yeah <laughs> but it's not that common anymore of course or we do it in different ways but yeah like courting was a huge thing that's what people did here at the forks every summer indigenous peoples from all different nations and clans and villages would come together because in the winters up here we go into small groups and we go in our hunting bands so you survive better when you're smaller but we came here in huge groups and had ceremony and gatherings and trade and marriages and courting and you know when the residential school area came around and colonization in general there are all these weird European ideas about what manhood is or masculinity is mm -hmm. and they Weird were indeed <laughs> we were we come from a lot of us come from very matriarchal even matrilineal almost always matrilocal which means you live with women they're in charge of the place where you're living communities and so it's like we did a complete almost 180 because the Europeans were like you can't do this you have to get control of your woman you're treating them too well you're being too nice you're being too gentle you need to be strong with the women and to this day, I really think white men are scared of black and indigenous women more than like anything on earth right. and two-spirited women because they are strong and they have so much power and they have so much influence over us or at least some of us. There's also this weird, this is kind of random, but it's connected to that. There's this weird idea that, and this starts in early colonial mm -hmm. days, like the fur trade era, early right. fur trade era, British men especially were like, yo, you guys need to stop eating fish. Because it's not good for men. You need to eat red meat, like deer or moose or beef. I mean, you don't have cows, but we're going to bring you cows. Stuff like that. It's so stupid. And it, I just think if they tried to tell my grandpa that, he would, like, cuss them out or something. Because he fishes and picks berries every day. And it makes no sense because fish, especially back then when the waters weren't polluted, were healthy. Fish, wild rice, just a little bit of red meat. I mean, these British guys didn't know how to eat. 500 years ago, they still don't know how to eat. <laughs> I'm just saying. <laughs> so to kind of bring those two topics together, language revitalization and indigenous masculinities, I'll use Anishinaabemo and Ojibwe language as the example. And this came up in my indigenous feminisms class when I thought of this question or this idea, I guess, like what does it mean to not be a man but to be in a new? Because my ancestors, you know, who were Ojibwe speaking, they didn't identify as a man because they didn't have that word. And because they didn't have that word, they didn't have those connotations and images associated with that word, the tone associated with that word. Mm -hmm. So I wonder what they thought of being Inunu. When the words Ikwe and Inunu came up in conversation, what kind of images did that invoke? What kind of attitudes or tone or thoughts come to mind? Is it something aggressive and violent? Is it something a bit more gentle? Is it something loud or quiet or something steeped in responsibility? to community, to clan, to family, to kin, to women, because it really seems like the word man, when we say the word man in English, what comes to mind, right? Something bold, something loud Don't ask and aggressive. Me. <laughs> I have a long answer. <laughs> it's definitely not something gentle. Mm -hmm. It's definitely not something that's sensitive. Right. And I'm very glad that my parents kind of raised me to be okay with being sensitive and things like that. And to be okay if I want to grow my hair long or to be what Western society would consider feminine. Because there's this great thing out there on Twitter, Instagram, I forgot who made it, but they're like, 
I'm not feminine, you're just colonized and or colonial, maybe. It's like what does it mean to be in a to be ikwe? Like how is woman different in each language? Because when you see the world the way your ancestors saw the world through your indigenous language, through your ancestral language, I feel like that's how you're meant to see the world and how you're meant to understand yourself. Or you can kind of pick and choose. You know, it's up to you. Everyone's different. And I'm really connected to Romanian, so maybe, and to French, so maybe my identity is a mix of these different cultures and languages. I think it's extremely significant. That was great. It's really important to remember why we are doing the things that we do. And I think what you spoke about gave us great insight as to why activists in their language revitalization movement do what they do and don't really do what they do for profit. And this gives me a lot to think about <laughs> in my own decolonizing perspectives that I need to take on more in my day-to-day life. So thank you so much for that. Yeah, uh, thank you welcome, so much. Of course. <laughs> welcome back on the show anytime. <laughs> Too many good things in your brain. This has been Wake the F Up on 101.5 UMFM. Catch us next week on Thursday, 11 to 11.30. If you have any comments or suggestions for future shows, our Instagram is Wake the F Up UMFM. And Jack, did you want to share your Instagram? Sure, my Instagram is Boajigeminobamatizwin. That's B A W A A J I G E underscore M I N O, you know, underscore Bamatizwin. B I M A A D I Z I W I N. And that means he or they uh, is dreaming of the good life, right way of life. Great. And if you didn't catch that, that'll also be on our Instagram. Thanks so much. Stay woke, you of them. <laughs> <laughs> Dear Native youth, I wrote this song for you Cause I wanted you to know that I put my heart into I get inspired every time that I speak to you I can acknowledge all the things that you're going through And trust me when I say that I've been in your shoes Locked up before for breaking all of the rules I felt alone, so I posted up in my room Without the suicide, I don't know what to do I'm so confused, if I end it all, who's gone care? Picture my funeral, who's all there? That constant feeling of despair Zoned out with a blank stare in that moment I'm trying to decide my fate With war paint written all across my face The ancestors fought hard and never gave up this easily So I find something deep inside of me To my dream or your family Thanks for believing in me Together with you, we gon' make some history Uh